Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicharian, joined today by Jordan Edwards of our football scouting department. Jordan, what's going on? What's going on, Matt? Good to be here. Thanks for having me. We are into our off-season post-draft schedule, which means we're going every other week for now and for the next couple of months until we circle back and get closer to the 2022 season. We've got our producer, Justin Stein, here with us as always. If you're missing Mark Simon, I highly suggest you go check him out over on the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. He's got Tony Gwynn Jr. and Bobby Scales on this week. Really exciting stuff over there. And of course, if you're uh, basketball-minded, don't miss the SIS Hoops Playing in Space podcast hosted by Henry Ward. But for today, we are here to talk about football, and we are here to talk about offensive line, the big nasties. That's why we got our expert Jordan Edwards in here. Jordan, let's start with it right off the top. Who are you taking in a fight between Nick Saban? You know where I'm going with this? I, I, I know. I, I've been watching. I've been looking at the news lately. <laughs> I think this is so funny. I think this is so funny. I think I like Jimbo Fisher kind of in that fight. Saban's small in person. You know, I, I, attitude-wise, I'm going Saban all day. I think he's he's a little bit dog. more. I mean, he, he he's throwing a little bit of shade out there. I think he's, you know, pissed off Saban. It might be the, the scariest guy in college football. But, I mean, when you come out. He did out make an and, NFL player cry, I remember, in, in like, <laughs> training camp at one point. I mean, you know, when you come out and, and and criticize and almost, you know, throw shame towards one of your former, you know, assistants and a guy who's been killing it on recruiting and you basically come out here and shame him for beating you one on one. You know, what Jimbo's been coming out and saying, I think you have to defend yourself. Jimbo's not throwing the punch, but he can he can give it back right now. So I think we got to get Vince McMahon involved and see if we can really make a, <laughs> the right kind of show out of this because this hey, is like, yeah, hey. I, I got to give it a and they're, they're beating them. I mean, there's no, none of these guidelines on NIL, you know, I know all that stuff is kind of, you know, a lot of question marks, you know, so if there's no guidelines for it, you do what you do, what you can with it. Try and beat everybody. Saving things right. that he play, play within the rules and there are no rules. There are so, all the rules, so you know, yeah, yeah. Can't, can't blame them. Yeah. It's uh it's interesting. I think probably from a, from a system level, there needs to be something addressed there, but Anyway, let's let's talk about the real the real offensive linemen, though. We're here to talk about NFL offensive lines today. We're here to talk about the best offensive lines, the worst offensive lines, some of the key additions and losses, and some of the under-radar offensive lines. What's good about this, you know, for, for everybody out there is it's really easy to think about all the fantasy additions and everybody's having all their drafts and things like that. But when when it really comes down to it, a lot of the performance of the players on the field is all within the context of the offensive lines. It's the old Don Shula, you show me a good offensive line, I'll show you a good offense. So want to get into that, want to break down some of the transactions. So let's start off. Let's start off with that top five list, Jordan. Who do you got? What's our number five offensive line in terms of total points? And, and how do you break them down? So, yeah, so number five coming in is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles. Really, they were consistent across the entire board. So Lane Johnson comes in and, and a top 10 and, and being at his position at offensive tackle for total points. Jason Kelsey, the veteran the leader of the, the offensive line. He comes in in the top 10 for centers as well. But I think the biggest thing coming into it, you know, last year they, they were able to run the ball really well towards the end of the season. That was really kind of their their mainstay. But all five return starters are returning for next year. And I think the biggest thing that, you know, that, you know, analytics doesn't, you know, kind of entail is, you know, continuity offensive line. It's more about the, the connectivity between all five players. And so when you can return all five offensive linemen and, I think with with the second year coach coming in, you have Jalen Hurts still there. You put the offensive playmakers around. The offensive line is really what's going to make the offense and the whole team really just kind of give itself a jolt. So you got guys like Landon Dickerson who really played well his rookie year last year, and, and, and at left tackle, his name is escaping me. I mean, Mylotta is, uh, is Mylotta, the left yeah, yeah the, the left tackle. He played really well last year. They gave him a pretty big deal recently. So the whole offensive line there for Philadelphia is really what's going to make this team. I think possibly you'll compete and win that division next year. Yeah, I, I like that you bring up kind of like they're kind of exciting when you look at Landon Dickerson fitting into there. And then now they're also building uh, further in the offseason as they look ahead. Look, in the second round pick, they picked Cam Jurgens, not the yep. guy that we were, were the highest on in the draft, but you certainly get what they're doing there when you look at what Jason Kelsey has been, the athletic upside of Cam Jurgens, with this being somebody that maybe isn't the most polished player right now, but somebody, you know, if there's anybody who you you would look at in this class and see kind of that that Jason Kelsey path for, I think it would be that. So 
it's sort of interesting there. I was actually on the the Birds 365 show and and they were asking me about that move and is it too much like a trap? Like because we've seen Kelsey succeed here, are we looking too hard to find somebody to fit into that into that archetype instead of just getting the best player that that we could? You know, like with the Ravens just getting Linderbaum, who I think is more ready made. I think we we would agree on that one. So they certainly hit it out the park with Dickerson last year. I this is a team that when you look at their depth chart on the offensive line and the defensive line, they're really yep. strong. And yet their first two picks, offensive line and or defensive line and offensive line. So mm-hmm. like there's a reason why they're 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 built that way. They're consistent with what they do. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I, I think I'm always a big proponent of of replenishing the offensive defensive line. Those guys, you know, those guys are the ones that kind of wear the wear and tear, you know, it builds up on them. And so, you know, if you have multiple bodies to be able to play, especially on the defensive line, I, I love the, the Jordan Davis pick because you've got your veterans and everything like that. But adding him in just adds more depth and playmaking and, and can really let the guys behind them. They're not, you know, super great at the linebacker position, but if they're having free lanes to run and you've got Jordan Davis clearing, clearing pass for them, I think it's a great pick for them as well. Yeah, and you look, I mean, Kaiser White should be a, a huge addition for them on that side of the ball. And oh. N'Kobe Dean, who they, they pick right after Jordan Davis. If it was if any of his success was because of Jordan Davis, well, we're not really going to be able to tell the difference because they're still together. Yep. It should be interesting there. Love that. That number five O line. You broke down too some of the top players on, on each of these top O lines. They're kind of interesting because there's nobody that's like within the top five for their individual mm-hmm. position, but it, but as a whole, you know, they are in the top five. Yeah, the, yeah, I think the continuity between all five spots it kind of speaks more to when the whole group is playing well together. Then I think the whole offense is playing well together, and so that's why they're going to stand out in our top five. Right, and what do you have? Lane Johnson, I think, offensive line number ten, uh, offensive yep. tackle number ten by total points. Yep, and then Kelsey comes in at uh, center eight, so a little bit lower, maybe, maybe you know, just off of the perception of who Kelsey is, but still, he was very productive, you know, late in his career. Absolutely. All right, five strong offensive linemen. Nobody jumping, jumping out. What about our number four offensive line by total points? Who do we have there? Yeah, I'm, it, so it's going to be the New England Patriots, and kind of just like the Eagles, where nobody really stands out across the board over another. They still got some notable guys, you know, Trent Brown, David Andrews, guys like that. They did trade away Shaq Mason this year to, to the Bucks. We'll get to them later. And then I think the biggest surprise of, of the first night of the draft. I, I don't know. I want to say surprise, but Definitely, you know, the strange pick, Cole Strange, obviously coming in at the first round to replace Shaq Mason. And so their whole offensive line, you guys, they went at left tackle on Winu at left guard, Andrews at center, probably going to plug in Strange at right guard with Trent Brown. And so the Patriots have always had good offensive lines, just the, the last handful of years, even when they haven't been winning games without Tom Brady and everything, they're still making the playoffs. And, and it's really due to the offensive line. They run the ball exceptionally well. They know they have an identity of what they want to be. And so drafting Cole Strange in the first round is good with me because if he's going to play from day one and you're going to buy into that, then I have no problem with it. Yeah, I think it's easy to get caught up in positional value. and get, but When you get starters and, and they play for you, it's hard to argue with the way Bill Belichick has built his offensive lines over the years. I do think it's kind of interesting. Like this is, we're saying number four in total points based on last year, correct? Yes. Yep. So a couple of departures on the offensive line. You mentioned Shaq Mason, Ted Karras also out of town. They they do draft strange. Just on the smell test, I would take the, the Eagles offensive line ahead of the Patriots offensive line. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you there. You know, it's definitely it's it's weird kind of how it works. You don't, you know, they don't have necessarily have the the big time names, but obviously Trent Brown has been a good right tackle for a while. I think left tackle is still somewhere that needs to be improved. I think Wynn can probably play a little bit better. And then, so we'll see with the interior, but, you know, when you're not having like, you know, the, the Patriots, obviously they don't throw the ball a lot. You know, they, they held the reins back from Mac Jones a little bit, who still played well. They obviously went to the playoffs, but when you have the identity of being a run first team like this, I think it, it masks some of the deficiencies that you might have as an entire offensive line group. And when you can get these guys just running downhill, I think it, it's why, you know, their total points, kind of speaks for itself. They promise to be super right-handed kind of on offense. When you look at Trent Brown mm-hmm. and, and Cole Strange, how he fits in there, we'll see how that plays out. All right, they're number four. Again, a team with no real real standout, top, top. You know, you talk about Trent Brown, probably the guy that you would look at there, but um, nobody that, that really jumps out to the top of the leaderboard. Same thing with the Eagles. So let's see if that stays the same. Moving to our number three team, the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, so the Chiefs, you know, rewind two years ago, 
into that Super Bowl with the Bucks. Obviously, you know, JPP and Shaq Barrett, they went to town on that offensive line and they they made it a priority to try and fix. They go out and they trade for Orlando Brown back into the first round type of pick. They get in here in the in the third. It was, I think it was second or third round last year. They, they draft Creed Humphrey, who was our number three center you know, across all uh, all offensive linemen at the position as a rookie. And so Joe Tooney was our offensive guard one. Uh, they went out and gave him a big deal in the offseason last offseason as well. Then they get probably this, you know, value wise, one of the steals of the draft in the sixth round with Trey Smith, who slipped just due to some medical concerns. The right tackle, Lucas Niang, was a, a almost like a red shirt. They drafted him two years ago. We played in right tackle. And so he he got injured a little late in the season last year, but they're going to return all five starters on the on the offensive line. And so just kind of like how the the Eagles were, their offensive line is going to what's going to what make them, you know, you know, move throughout the season. You know, they're going to protect Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs were obviously, you know, very good at running the ball last year with this offensive line. As long as they can kind of do that and kind of spell having to throw the ball 40, 50 times with that offense, they're going to be able to still win games. And so Creed Humphrey is, uh, you know, going to be one of the best centers in the league. Tooney has always been one of the best guards. And I think kind of just developing this whole group together is why, you know, I I think going into next year, they could be the the best offensive line when the season comes to an end. Yeah, it's really interesting uh, just looking at the way that that offensive line was was rebuilt really in one year. You mentioned Yang. It was kind of like cheating because he was stashed there in the background over that time. But but literally, they changed over all five positions and they became one of the best offensive lines in the league. I think really Joe Thune was was one of the acquisitions of the year last year. I mean, yep. he's he's just been so unbelievable for them. And it makes sense. They would get him from the Patriots, who we just talked about being kind of right-handed, being a run-first team. Mm-hmm. Obviously... We look at the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes as a pass-first team, and this is a very left-handed offensive line, right? You talk about Orlando yeah. Brown. They took a risk making that trade for him, and he showed that Orlando that, that he can be a left tackle in this league and be a high-level performer at that position. Put him next to Joe Thune. He just helped make, make sure that he's going to be successful there. They locked that down. And then you mentioned Creed Humphrey was an absolute stud as a rookie. He, would, he was one of the top centers in the league. And then they get Trey Smith later in the draft along with that. It really is building into an offensive line that you look for the next three years and you say, you know, what, how, how does this not work? Like, what, what are we, mm-hmm. what are we missing here? Yang being kind of like the only, I would say question mark at this point on the line, but I think they did, they've got a plan there too. So. And I think if you look at all these guys, you know, going back to even when they were in college and thinking about when Orlando Brown was with Baltimore and Thune when he was in with the Patriots, all these guys are good pullers. And if you look at their gap run scheme, with their EPA rank is, is fifth in the league and they don't even do it a lot. And so, but the fact that they're doing it at, at a high level without doing it as much, I think it kind of speaks to kind of the identity of what this offensive line can be. And so I'm interested to see if they lean a little bit more on that, get those guys kind of out in space. Orlando Brown was, was awesome with the Ravens in their offensive line when he was pulling around and doing stuff like that. And so I think getting yeah. these guys on the move, clearing out space for, whoever they put at running back, because it seems like they can really just put anybody back there and be able to to, to thrive at that position. So, yeah, I think that's something I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of going into the season is how how do, how different does this offensive line and this offensive scheme look going into the, uh, next year? I like that. That's a great shout. I, w- I would love to see some of that because in one sense, they're a fun team using a lot of motion, using it really well. Obviously, they tend to be in shotgun like most teams in the league at this point, but they do it even more than average. But that's a that's a really good thing to point out that they are zone heavy team in terms of what they call in the run game, but they were much better performing in the gap game last year. And that does match some of the talent that they have there. Like you said, getting Orlando Brown on the move, Dooney coming from, from the Patriots scheme where, where he's obviously been doing a lot of that in his career, Creed Humphrey, getting him on the move. Yeah. Like there, there's some exciting stuff that you could do there. Yeah. People movers. I mean, that's, that's what they are. So you got to love it. All right, let's get to the top two. The Both of the top two offensive lines by total points also are two of the biggest movers that, that would have been mentioned in the key losses and addition section. So really interesting to see what they were and if they can remain what they were going forward next year. But who do you got, Jordan? Who was our number two offensive line by, by total points last year? Yeah, so number two is going to be the Los Angeles Rams, the Super Bowl champions. Andrew Whitworth put together a, a, an awesome career playing with the Bengals and, and the Rams in his career. He came in at uh, offensive tackle number two and for the whole positional rank. They're going to lose him to retirement. 
And then you also lose Austin Corbett, who's, who was a really good kind of find for them. They, I believe they traded for him a couple of years ago, and he's been a really good right, right guard for them. They lose him in free agency to Carolina. The, I think the, the, the big thing with the Rams is, is they were going to lose a lot of people coming into this offseason. One of the first moves that they did was they re-signed kind of their sixth offensive lineman, Joe Noteboom. It sounds like they're going to play him at left tackle opposite of having seen it right. And so I think, you know, having that trust in him, I think they're confident with him being a left tackle. So that's why they didn't necessarily go out and look at somebody else in free agency to bring in. And their first pick in the draft this year came in the third round, and that was Logan Bruss out of Wisconsin. And probably they're going to put him at one of those guard spots that they ended up losing. And so this is kind of a kind of the first, you know, offensive line that we're talking about that's going to have a lot of, you know, musical chairs kind of who's going to play where, who's replacing who. And the Rams, you know, they built their success on that offensive line with Whitworth being, you know, and having seen at the this kind of the stalwarts on the ends there at tackles. And so I'm interested to see what they do going into next year and how this offensive line looks. Yeah. You know, it's interesting in a few ways. Oftentimes we think about associating the, the run game with offensive line and the pass game, you know, with receivers and skill players. This is a, an offensive line that was built for the pass game. This was an offensive line that led a team that was one of the best passing and receiving teams in the NFL and really did nothing from a running the football perspective last year other than, you know, just keep it a little bit balanced as much as as much as they could and keep keeping the defense honest. So it, that's one interesting thing that I look at is the way that they were built, but then going going into what they were compared to what they're going to have to do this year. I mean, you mentioned both of the departures. Whitworth, one of the best tackles in the league. I think he was the, the second by total points last year. Austin Corbett losing him to free agency as well. Yes, they add Bruss, the third rounder. They slide Joe Bo- Noteboom probably into that left tackle spot. It'll be interesting to see how much of the sex- success of this offensive line is really attributable to the scheme and kind of what Sean McVay is able to do and the sort of balance that they're able to create with the, with the outside zone game, which, they, which they're so prone to. But then I just really worry about, you know, I don't, I don't think it was just that. I think there's also, they had some players and they're going to have to really figure out how to, how to get past that if they want to make another run at this thing. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things, you know, going back the last few years before the Rams made that trade for Matt Stafford, play action was something that they would, they loved doing. Last year, they were number one EPA ranked team in play action. They had a lot of success of it, but they did less of it because they had Matt Stafford and they were able to do some more drop back game and stuff like that with that offensive line. So I think when you kind of move away from some of these veterans and you're playing with a new offensive line, do they get back into that play action, move the pocket a little bit more? Those McVay and Shanahan offenses where everything kind of looks the same with with the play action and the the flow of how the how the the, the play looks. And so maybe they do a little bit more of that, you know, this year just kind of based off of who they have. And so I'm interested to see that next year. You know how how does McVay kind of spell with the how, how these offensive linemen how they look next year? I, I'll be it'll be interesting to see because. Does he go back to kind of the the roots and fixing that zone run game that that you know eighty percent of the time they're running zone scheme plays, but they were at negative point one two EPA per play last year. That was eighteenth in the NFL in terms of efficiency on zone carries last year. So now that was offset. They won the Super Bowl because they were first in yep. efficiency on deep drops, like you mentioned, and and mm-hmm. and they were running deep drops thirty eight percent of the time, which is, which is pretty hefty. They also were great against man coverage. They were great when they used play action, but again, not able to use the play action as much probably because they weren't having the same amount of success with that, with that zone run game. So they had to pick their spots a little bit more in terms of how they do that. It'll be fascinating because I don't think they have sort of the, the sort of talent just up front that they had that to sort of be able to absorb some, some different things and some different looks. There might be some, some rebuilding that goes on there. And I wouldn't be surprised if, like you said, they went back to kind of some of those more, tried and true concepts that that the whole Shanahan coaching tree is really comfortable with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I I completely agree. Number one team in terms of total points last year, we said the number two team was the Super Bowl champions. Who was the number one team? The number one team is going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, number one in our total points for position, the offensive line as a whole. Tristan Wirfs is going to come in the second year player as our OT1 total points for the position. Donovan Smith, the left tackle, is going to come in at OT4. 
and Ryan Chess is going to come in as the top center in, in total points. So when you have three players in the top five at their respective positions, and two of them at you know being the best, you're gonna you're gonna have a, a pretty big wide margin on on the number one spot. And so um, I think the biggest thing with this is you know obviously you've got Tom Brady coming back. The offensive line is going to look a lot different with Ali Marpet and Alex Kappa leaving Marpet with the early retirement and Kappa leaving in, in free agency to the Bengals. They went out and they traded for Shaq Mason, a guy that we kind of mentioned with the uh, the Patriots a, a few a few minutes ago. And they add, you know, with their second round pick, Luke Decky out of uh, Central Michigan. And so it seems like those two are going to be the, the guys that they kind of plug and play and, and kind of run it back with everything. And so I think the key to the, the Buccaneers team, like we said, obviously they have Tom Brady, but with Tom Brady's age is, you know, the the less mobility that he's able to, to kind of go with. This offensive line is something that is critical to their success. And so last year when they were playing the Rams, you know, Tristan Wirfs had a couple, you know, uh, had an ankle injury. And so he wasn't playing very well. That kind of allowed Aaron Donald and Von Miller to kind of turn loose. And they were able to create a lot of pressure in that crazy game. And so I think the Bucks are obviously going to be one of the top teams, not, not only in the NFC, but in the NFL. And the offensive line is really kind of where it starts for them. So Tom Brady tried to become an executive with the Dolphins, but when he saw the Bucks lose both of their very good starting guards from last year, he went out and made a trade for Shaq Mason on, on the Bucks' behalf, right? <laughs> so you talk about a right-handed offensive line here now because, like you mentioned before, Tristan Wirfs, as good as they come at right tackle in the league, put Shaq Mason next to him and between him and Ryan Jensen there, you feel pretty good about that. I would say less so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what Gadecki is on the NFL level. And mm-hmm. Donovan Smith, one of the most interesting careers, like like very quietly, he's had a really good career. But I mean, you talk about somebody when he came out of Penn State, I thought he was going to be stud, one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. You could put him basically at any offensive line position and he'd be amazing there. He's kind of been okay. Like for the for his first contract, I think he was kind of subpar a lot of the time, managed to get the second contract, and he's been, you know, good enough to win the Super Bowl with, and, and they've been happy with him there for sure. But still somebody who I think doesn't really inspire the the sort of Tristan Wirfs level of confidence. Great season last year, but now when you look at who's going to be next to him at left guard, I think we could have a recipe for some frustrated Tom Brady here. He knows how important having those guards set that pocket for him are. He mm-hmm. knows how good that offensive line's been in the past and how that plays into his success at 4,400 years old. But Filled in the right tackle, uh, filled in the right guard hole next to the great right tackle. I wonder on the left side if Donovan Smith shows a little bit more of sort of the chinks in the armor, you know, not having his old buddy next to him anymore who's uh, enjoying his retirement. I'm very curious to see kind of how this this offensive line kind of shapes up because, you know, you, you look at them. We were talking about kind of the dropback percentage. They were the number one uh, percentage team with dropbacks w- with Tom Brady, and, and they, they were last in play action. So that's not something that they do. Even, you know, going back to kind of New England, you know, Tom Brady they love that play action, and so uh, really being able to do that dropback stuff, it really kind of depends on the offensive line. Like, yeah, just like you said, if that left side, his blind side, is not going to be able to to do that at the level that they have been the last couple of years, I think it's definitely going to affect what they do on the offensive side of the ball. And so with Brian, uh, Byron Leftwich taking that kind of next step and being the play caller, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do, how, how they get Chris Godwin back in the fold. They made some other moves at receivers and stuff like that. And so maybe they, they spread it out a little bit more. You don't, we don't know what Gronk is going to end up doing. Probably he'll end up coming back. I would assume so, but second half of the season, he, yeah, he's not he's not on the team yet. So, oh, not um, before training camp. No yeah, way. Yeah, no way. Yeah. So I, I'm interested to see kind of what the identity of this offense is, especially with you know they re-signed Leonard Fournette as well. So, but yeah, the offensive line, yeah, like you said that right side is definitely going to be kind of the the bread and butter of, of that whole group. And so I'm interested to see, yeah, like you said, Donovan Smith. He's he's kind of been shaky in his career, but he had a great year last year. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see. Like you mentioned, they they were. All drop back, no play action, a lot of short drop backs last year too. Very much mm-hmm. the Tom Brady get the ball out of the hands quick offense that kind of we saw in the middle of his career at this point. So pretty interesting when we look at when we look at that top five list, you know, going back over it was the Eagles at number five, Patriots at four, Chiefs at three, Rams at two, Bucks at one. But with all the changes on the Bucks and the Rams, probably a little bit more questions there. And when we really look at the depth chart. The Chiefs and the Eagles really stand out from the eye test in terms of offensive lines that you'd feel great about. Yeah, yeah. I think those two coming in, having that continuity between all five players, I think is is 
really one of the biggest things I think that you can't undersell for, for an entire offensive line unit. No doubt about it. All right, let's flip ahead and let's talk about some of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Instead of giving you all five, we're just going to give you the bottom four this time. So let's look at this. We're doing this by total points, not by being just haters. But I think, again, just kind of like the, like the top five list, I think it, it does match reality. So who do we got? Who is the fourth worst offensive line in total points last year? So it pains me to say this as a Carolina Panthers fan, but it, it was my Carolina Panthers coming in at uh, 29 in total points. Honestly, I think the only reason why they were 29 and not 32 was because Taylor Moten was a top five tackle in total points. And so him being a stalwart on the right side with having everybody else that left it, you know, Cam Irving started the year at left tackle. They had guys like Pat Elfline, you know, on the interior, John Miller along the interior, Matt Paradis in the interior. They had Sam Darnold running for his life early in the season. So they they went through a total rehaul with this. And so they, they bring in Iki Aquanu, yeah, to probably play left tackle, I would assume, you know, being able to, t- no doubt to be about the it. first, first no doubt offensive about tackle it. on the board. Would they move Moten? Like, I think that's the that's got to be the vision. Keep no, Moten where yeah. he's been so good and, and bring in Iguanu yeah. on the left side, right? Yeah, last year, they, I think they in training camp, they tried Moten out left tackle. But I'm always on the point where, you know, if it's not, you know, broken, don't try and fix it. And so if he's playing that well at right tackle, keep him there. Let's try and figure out the left tackle spot. And so and then they bring in Bradley Bozeman, who will probably end up playing center for this team. And, and then they they bring in Austin Corbett from the Rams, who we talked about a little bit as well being that kind of pass-protecting guard on the right side. I would assume that they're probably going to go Brady Christensen at left guard, give him a shot. They drafted him in the third round. You know, they like him at guard and tackle. I think they see him as kind of a swing. They didn't give him a lot of chances at left tackle last year when they kind of needed it. And so I, I would assume that he's going to play guard. So they 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 made it a priority to, to try and, re, you know, retool this offensive line. And so We'll see if Sam Donald can have a little bit of success. Maybe they turn to Matt Corral at some point in the year. But this offensive line is going to be kind of key, the key to success for whatever quarterback they end up putting back there. Yeah, I I, I love that they really address that position. I think the guys you mentioned that they brought in, Corbett being you know the leading total points player that they brought in, and Bozeman right there, right there with him. All of a sudden, just like we talked about how the Bucks are kind of str- we're scrambling. They made that trade for Shaq Mason to fill those guard positions. The ability to set that pocket, I mean, I can't tell you how many studies we've we've done and, and different ways that we've looked at it. When when the when the interior of the offensive line gets upset, that's that's a really difficult thing to play quarterback behind. Mm-hmm. So Darnold, I know at this point not making anybody excited. Corral, like hopefully, right? We'll, yeah. we'll see though. But um at least give one of those guys a chance by by putting the offensive line. So if Icky, if Icky can be what people think Icky can be. They've got the bookend set, and then they've got two of the three interior guys in free agency. You know, I think it sh- it should be night and day. So then, as a team, you're looking at feeling good about the offensive line, feeling good about really the entire defense, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that the defense is what's kind of helped this team together for a little bit. It's kind of a big reason why they won the first three games of the season last year to start three zero. They've got a lot of young guys. They're going to get J.C. Horn back off of almost like a redshirt year where he only played the first couple of games. They addressed the corner spot last year. They they get another safety in there to kind of they, – they're bringing Xavier Woods. They're going to kind of let Jeremy Chen kind of move back towards, you know, kind of roaming the center of the field, you know, kind of in the middle, let him make plays towards the the, the line of scrimmage and kind of that middle area of the field. I think the defense is what's going to kind of keep this team in games. It's just going to come up to can the offense put points up on the board. Definitely comes back to that. For your sake, I hope uh, I hope they can get it together. I always like the idea of building up front, though. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. All right, third from the bottom, the 30th ranked team in total points last year was? So it's going to be the New York Giants. And so this is kind of another team where they really made it a priority with the new coaching staff and, and new general manager to to really try and rebuild this offensive line. And so you have former top five pick Andrew Thomas at left tackle, kind of a, graded out as a mid-tier player for us. And, and we'll see if he keeps taking strides. Uh, and we'll, we'll kind of even see where does he play kind of the talk of the offseason was what offensive tackle did they bring in? They bring in Evan Neal, who you wrote up for for our draft guide and everything. And so I'm curious to, to kind of see what, what you would think where do you think Evan Neal plays on the right side because he's got the the experience of it? Do you put him at left tackle because you draft him in the top five, uh, draft, draft him in the top 10? And so they, they kind of do a total overhaul just like the Panthers did. They they bring in Evan Neal, Mark Lewinsky, Mark Garcia, or Max Garcia, and John Feliciano in in free agency in the draft and replacing basically kind of four for four, Will Hernandez, Billy Price, Nate Solder, and Matt Skura. And so 
they're retooling, trying to you know move some pieces around, get a new offensive line in there just to see if they can kind of help out Daniel Jones in this critical year for his development. And so, but yeah, I'm curious to see what do you what do you think Evan Neal is going to end up doing with this offensive line? Well, first of all, yeah, let's start there with Evan Neal. Love, love, love Evan Neal. The upside is just through the roof with him. You mentioned he could play on the left side. He could play on the right side. I think that if Evan Neal is like, if he is given the opportunity to develop, because this is still a young player, right? He's played in 40 mm-hmm. games, but he just had three, he's three years removed from high school. So he's a young player. And yet he's, he's got so much, he's got a high floor and he's got a high ceiling. The, the floor is he could play any of these positions. He could be a solid starter. The ceiling is this guy could be a hall of fame type of left tackle. He's got that kind of physical stature. Like we talked about Orlando Brown before. He's got that physical stature with just a rare level of athleticism for a man that size. Not as powerful as an Orlando Brown, but damn near. And combining that with a real like dancing bear, like we're talking about a guy with feet, with hands. And so for that reason, long term, I, I think he'd kind of, if if you can develop him and if he can become what what he can be, he's almost wasted if he's not a left tackle. But then I go back to, you got to have two left tackles in the modern NFL, really. Yeah. You have to yeah. have a left tackle on the left side. You got to have a left tackle on the right side. This is a passing league. So we're not going to like complain. I, I really think whether it's Neil that goes in on the right side, that might make more sense just right off the bat because you've mm-hmm. had Thomas play two years on the left side already. And you know that Neil can kind of do that. But also, you know, if he comes in and the vision is to really make him that your, your left tackle for the next 10 years, then I think it's reasonable to ask Andrew Thomas to make that move. So I don't feel too strongly about who plays where. What I do feel strongly about is Evan Neal having the potential to be a, just an absolute stud for them. Love him getting, you know, getting them where they got him. And then Andrew Thomas, I'll point out, really developed as a pass blocker last year. You know, he went from in 2020, he had gave up 11 sacks on 572 pass snaps. In 2021 on 483 pass snaps, he gave up just three sacks. So we saw that come down. The blown blocks in the pass game specifically went from 39 in 2020 to just 12 in 2021. So he didn't become the best offensive lineman in the league overnight. I'm still not saying that. He's still kind of middle of the pack, slightly above average based on what he did in 2021. But that was coming off a really bad year in 2020, especially from the pass blocking perspective, right? Three total points pass blocking in 2020. 15 in 2021, going from being way below average to being an above average player in that phase when he was already a good player in the run blocking phase. So I think you can, you can, I could see them sorting out either way, but at the end of the day, I think you feel really good about having those two positions locked down. And then, you know, in addition to that, you got a a Glowinski who played pretty well last year and you're kind of working on, like you said, rebuilding with the free agents that you, that you bring in. Max Garcia, John Feliciano, trying to fit in the rest of that O-line. Really got out of hand with how bad things got there for the Giants for a little bit. But like the Panthers, I think at least we're seeing them making moves, recognize it. Not building through the draft at that position, you know, except with for, for the for the Neal pick, but more doing it through free agency, at least in the short term. Yeah, I, I think the, the difference between these two teams that we just talked about versus the next two that we'll talk about is – they actually, I think, ident- are identifying that it's an issue and they're doing something about it. Whereas the next two, we, we're not seeing that much of a difference between what they've been trying to do in the offseason. So, um, yeah, I, I, I at least, you know, applaud both of these teams for trying to 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 get new guys in there, get fresh blood in there and try and do something different. All right. Well, on that note, let's let's get to the second from the bottom offensive line in the league. Who do we have there and what can you tell about? how they're not addressing what needs to be addressed. <laughs> yeah. So the Houston Texans are to come in at second to last. Really, they, they kind of had, you know, some graded out with some kind of middle of the road tackles. I think Titus Howard even played some guard last year, which he, I think he's going to come move back out to right tackle, kind of a more natural fit. And, and Laramie Tunzel being a left tackle, obviously, you know, he's a high regarded left tackle. He didn't have his best year last year. And so the interior of this group w- was not very good, which is why they addressed it in the first round with Kenyon Green in the top 15. And so um, at least they did that. But outside of that, they didn't draft any other offensive linemen uh, in the draft this year. So I think they're going with more of the, the kind of stopgap veteran guys to try and get some, you know, uh, some production out of there. And so very interested to see how this offensive line looks. And looking at this group as a whole, it's not, you know, it's not great. You know, they did draft Austin Deculus in the sixth round, I should say. 
this just this group isn't you know speaking to me really you know and so I, I definitely think if if the Texans are are looking to have a good year, this offensive line is just really going to have to improve. Yeah, I mean we look at Tunsil and we understand he's obviously been a great player. A little bit of a down year, but you're not looking at that as of all the positions on the Texans roster, you're probably looking at that one last in terms of needing an upgrade. But then they seem to just have a different evaluation of Howard than you and I do, and and I think a lot of people do. So. I think it remains to be seen if he can be a high level right tackle or not. But I, I think you really said it, the interior group, I don't know. I like some things that the Texans did in the draft this year, but mm-hmm. I have a really hard time getting on the same page with, with kind of what their big picture strategy is. Sometimes I just think maybe their evaluations of, of their roster is just different than the way that I evaluate their roster. That would, if they think that they're good at offensive line, that would explain things there. But you know, for, for me, it seems like they're going to be overmatched no matter who's playing quarterback for them unless they get that sorted out. Yeah, I mean, I think me and you are on the same page with this. You know, we love Derek Stingley, and I think, you know, drafting him in the top five, I don't think is a is a big, you know, reach or anything, although some people may have a different opinion. But I think it's only an injury risk. Besides, yeah, there's no, like, exactly. talent risk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, this was a, a team where I think a lot of people thought, why, why wouldn't they draft an offensive tackle at three? And so... It, the concerns I think were there. It's just, uh, yeah, just like you said, it looks like they're evaluating their roster more than the, the you know, yeah. a lot differently than the public is. And, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to be arguing in favor of need-based drafting, get the great player there. Yeah. I like that. It's a, it's, it's an important position, get players at important positions. Sure. That's important. It's hard to, it's hard to kind of make out the, the full philosophy. I will say they did seem to come together a bit as a team as, as the year went on last year. Maybe, maybe they're doing more than, than we're perceiving. All right, one more. We got to get to the bottom offensive line in the NFL last year. Who was OL number 32 by total points? Circling back around to the NFC South, it's going to be the Atlanta Falcons. And so really this group on paper, you know, you look at these guys, they're kind of littered with, you know, high, high, you know, high picks, first round picks, guys that are solid. You know, they've got Jake Matthews, who's been a decent left tackle in the league for the last few years. Christian Lindstrom was one of the best guards, you know, kind of, coming out of the draft out of his year and he's he's been okay but really I think Caleb McGarry was was not a good right tackle for them and in the interior they haven't been able to replace Alex Mack the last few years and we'll see kind of how they do that Jalen Mayfield kind of struggled in his first season kind of moving from a tackle position inside uh, to guard and so as a whole this group wasn't good last year obviously they're at the bottom but I think the biggest thing that I, I take away from is they didn't really bring in anybody to try and mix it up they only brought in Jermaine Effetti and so he didn't rate very uh, very highly in our you know total points rankings and so I'm I'm a little kind of I'm questioning you know why not try and address this as much as they can you know in the draft they go with the receiver in the top 10 they they go with some other players uh, on defense they get Desmond Ritter in there they don't they don't draft you know they they draft Justin Schaefer in the sixth round and that's really it and so uh, the yeah. guard from Georgia and so I you know I I'm I'm just kind of sitting here like why didn't they try and do something else to to try and improve this line? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they came in. There was a roster that that had a lot of holes, and I think when you look at having these offensive linemen that are a bunch of them are first contract players still, like you mentioned, Mayfield, Lindstrom, McGarry. These guys are cost controlled, and they're probably thinking, let's try to make something out of them. Let's see what we have here. Let's see if we can get them to a point where we want to at least make them second contract players for us on the offensive line. They had a lot of other holes on the team to address too. You know, when you look at, when you look at the defense, they're pretty, the, the coverage pretty bare up the middle for mm-hmm. them. And then Kyle Pitts obviously is, is a stud, you know, right away in the NFL, but yeah, what are we doing with, is it Marcus Mariota? Is it? Uh, yeah. Ritter? Is it, is it, yeah. Like, so I think it's just a it's a case where they have a lot of holes to fill. They were probably in an unenviable position. It wasn't like they had a bunch of expensive old offensive linemen that they could just make cap mm-hmm. casualties, eat it in one year, and then go back and, and go back to the well. They kind of had some guys that that they're there. I do think Mayfield can improve a lot from from his first year to his second year. He's a guy that I remember scouting when he came out of Michigan and it was weird in the in the COVID year, him being a guy that came out. He's got all kinds of strength. I mean, this is this is a dude with grown man strength, and I think he has the upside to be a really good interior offensive lineman. He could play on the outside as well, but I think he's probably better suited on the interior at this point. But he was somebody who there were some 
rawness to his game. He needs some technical development. He's very football young. He's not a guy who had played three years and had 40 starts like Evan Neal. He was somebody who was, was in the teens in terms of the number of starts that he had. So, you know, take your lumps with him. But, you know, if something doesn't happen with McGarry, if something doesn't happen with Lindstrom soon, where these guys start to show out a little bit more, then you'll be looking at upgrading it at all sorts of offensive line positions. I'm kind of with you. I wish they were doing more, uh, but I, you know, at least I understand that uh, it can be hard to do it all, all at once when you've got a lot of different needs to fill on the, on the roster. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the coaching staff and the, the front office, they're kind of in unison where they know that I, you know, they know that their team might not be the very good this year. So let's just try and get good players. Let's be true to you know our draft boards, things like that. And they know that they're going to have time. And so this might be another team that's drafting inside the top five, you know, top 10 this year, this upcoming year. And so, you know, maybe they, they do it next year, but I think they, they both sensible know. Timeline, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, I think they know that they're going to have some more cracks at the bat of this. So. And that, you know, some really good players on the team. Now, AJ Terrell has been showing out for a couple of years now, for sure. Talk about the the sort of receiver group. If you include Kyle Pitts in there, the different sort of basketball team that they have yep. in London, Ridley and Pitts. They're pretty exciting from, from that perspective. Yeah. Up front, up the middle quarterback position. That's where they'll need to get better. They're, they're working outside in clearly uh, mm-hmm. based on the way they're building things. So not, not unreasonable in the modern NFL. All right. That takes us through the top offensive lines and the bottom offensive lines. Let's talk about some of the teams that had key losses and additions. Some teams that maybe we should zero in on that might have offensive lines that look especially different. We already talked about the Rams and the Bucks. What can you tell us about one of the super, the other Super Bowl participant along with the Rams, the Cincinnati Bengals? So yeah, the Bengals. You know, looking at you know in terms of total points, Quentin Spain, Trey Hopkins, and, and Riley Reef, guys that they replaced this offseason, they didn't play terrible last season. Obviously, you know, you know, they're a big part of getting to the Super Bowl, but Joe Burrow and, and Jamar Chase are kind of what make that team go. And so it, I think, you know, going into the draft last year was, you know, the, the big discussion was, do they take Benet Sewell to try and protect Joe Burrow? Do they, you know, take Joe Jamar Chase, his favorite receiver from LSU? Obviously, I don't think anybody's going to refute the the pick that they made now, you know, seeing it after a year one. But they did obviously think that they needed to go out and try and retool the offensive line. So you bring in Lyle Collins from uh, from the Cowboys to to plug in at right tackle. You bring in Alex Kappa to play along the interior, along with Ted Karras and free agency. And so, you know, both of those guys graded out well over in total points. And so inserting those guys, kind of just a three for three swap. Their second round pick last year, Jackson Carmen, sounds like he should be uh, plugged into the left guard spot. And so we'll kind of see how this offensive line looks going into uh, next year, we'll see, you know, that that division is going to be pretty tough going into it with the the Browns looking ahead and, and the Ravens kind of, you know, going through that crazy year last year with all the injuries. And so the Steelers are, might be, you know, take a step back. And so where does this team kind of fit in the division? I think they they obviously knew that the offense line was something that they need to improve upon. And so I think they're plus additions. I think you would rather take all three of those guys over the three that they replaced. So I think this is a, a good offseason so far for the Bengals. Yeah, we mentioned some guys coming over, right? You talk about coming from really good offensive lines, Karras, Kappa, and Collins. So maybe a little bit of a sort of just total change the way that the Chiefs did it the year before is kind of the intention there. Just really, really changing out everything, really changing the whole culture of the offensive line room along with that. I don't know if those players are are huge upgrades per se compared yeah. to, to where they were at. And actually just bringing up Lyle Collins made me think because, we, you know, we mentioned the Bucks and we mentioned the Patriots as top five teams. We didn't mention the Cowboys. I mean, the Cowboys seem to always be a team that has a really good offensive line from, from year to year. And another team that did pop into my head as I was thinking about that was the Chargers. The Chargers have a really interesting offensive line, having having kind of like built up with Rashawn Slater and Corey Lindsley last year, not too differently from the way that the Chiefs did through kind of the draft and free agency. They get Zion Johnson this year. He'll probably slot in at, at, at right guard cross from Matt Filer, who's been playing left guard with them for a while now. So they're kind of interesting offensive line too. So I, I, maybe honorable mention, I wanted to shout those two out. We like those two. Anybody else, anybody else we should be mentioning? I'm trying to think off the top. I think the Colts, I think are interesting. Um, oh, absolutely. Three, three awesome offensive linemen exactly, uh, yeah. on their team. What are they doing at left tackle though? Yeah. So I think, I think the biggest thing with them is trying to figure out who's going to protect the blind side, like you said. And so, they they draft Bernard Raymond, who was you know a highly regarded player coming out of uh, Central Michigan this year. 
Maybe he steps in the third round pick at left tackle. They do have Matt Pryor, who played a little bit there last year. They brought in Den- Dennis Kelly, who's been kind of like a, a journeyman swing tackle yeah, they, who's played both They seem spots. to just have dudes like on reserve. They like they just roll out more <laughs> bodies at that position, right? Like Yeah. So I mean it it could just be kind of like an open competition. And so uh, we'll see how it is. They do they did lose Mark Lewinsky to to the Giants this offseason that we talked about a little bit. So they kind of have a little bit of a hole to fill there. I think they're comfortable with Danny Pinter at right guard though. So but I mean year in, year out we 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 think the Colts are kind of one of the top offensive lines because they've got three franchise players at their position. So with Braden Smith, Kelly, Ryan Kelly at center, and then obviously Quentin Nelson's. Yeah. And while we're at it, I'll shout the the Saints, another team that deserves mentioning. They lose Teron Armstead, who we will talk about momentarily, but they replace him with Trevor Penning. Obviously, you know, they they made the trades to get two first round picks with Olave and Penning this year, but Penning comes in and he slots in next to a pretty formidable offensive line when you talk about Pete. McCoy, Ruiz, and Ramchick. They've been good for a while. And who knows uh, when we talk about Armstead, if he'll be healthy. But let's talk about the team where he's going because they've also changed their offensive line and they are decidedly not a team that we would talk about anywhere near the top offensive line list. Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things, we we, we, we tweeted out a stat of this when they signed to Ryan Armstead. Um, both their tackles last year, Liam Eikenberg and Jesse Davis, uh, we're in the bottom 10 in blown blocks in 2021. And Liam Eikenberg led the NFL uh, with the most at 48 blown blocks last season. And so a dubious they, distinction for the, for the Miami <laughs> Dolphins. Yeah. So obviously they come in and, and, you know, with the new uh, head coaching staff in front office, they, they go out and they make one of the biggest kind of splashes in free agency, bringing in one of the best left tackles, you know, the last handful of seasons with Teron Armstead. And so he didn't play a lot last year. So kind of get a a good gauge of what he you know what he looked like last season i think you know you take that trade every day if you're going to lose jesse davis and you're going to bring in toronto armstead and so though they're another team that might do some kind of musical chairs with the rest of the offensive line who they play at right tackle it seems like they're going to they brought in connor williams as well it seems like he'll slot into the left guard spot michael dieter was a good center for them and so really figuring out who's going to be the blindside protector for Tua next year and so is that right, the right tackle blindside protector? Yeah. 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 Is, is it going to be Eichenberg? Is it going to be Austin Jackson? You know, who, who is that going to be? So Teron Armstead, I mean, he's one of the best left tackles in the league. And so with this new offense, with Mike McDaniel coming in more of that zone scheme, like the Shanahan tree, that's what he's best at getting on the move, sealing off the backside plays. He's one of the smartest and kind of, yeah. yeah and, and the smartest and most athletic kind of left tackles in the league. And I wonder, uh, you could see a scenario where they put him on the right side and and had that other smorgasbord of players kind of competing for the left side, given that that Tua is left-handed. I don't know. But yeah, Connor Williams, I think, is one not to sleep on. Probably, you know, just as big an addition to the offensive line, considering he really solidifies things, right? If you think those two guys are going to play on the left side, then you mentioned Michael Dieter at center along with them. And then you kind of look at the competition. They've had, you know, Robert Hunt perform pretty well. Solomon Kinley was another guy that they drafted. A few mm-hmm. years ago, along with him, those guys can compete at that right guard spot. And then I think at right tackle, you'd be talking about Eichenberg and, and an Austin Jackson, potentially, although Jackson was playing left guard last year. Last time we saw him, he's probably been supplanted by Connor Williams at that position. Does that mean that he moves back out to tackle? Is is it that that he and Eichenberg are competing at left tackle? We'll see about that. What, what's got to be frustrating for the Dolphins is similar to the Falcons they invested in the offensive linemen in drafting these guys mm-hmm. and they just haven't seen the returns because Eichenberg, Jackson, Hunt, Kinley, you maybe have like one solid starter out of the four of those guys that you, that you spent a lot of draft capital on in the last couple of years. So hopefully Mike McDaniel's offense can can kind of make the the sum of the parts greater than what the individuals have been to this point. Yeah. The competition yeah. never hurt anybody, right? Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm 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 very interested to see because I was a big Eichenberg fan coming out of Notre Dame. And so to see him struggle that much last year w- was really shocking to me. It's also a, f- a first year offensive lineman. Like yep. we saw with Andrew Thomas and we saw him get a little bit better. This is a very hard position to play in the NFL yep. against these freak defensive linemen. So maybe it is a matter of just getting some development in there. Give him credit. I mean, he, he didn't ask out. He played he played basically the whole season for them. We shall see. And he was and he was next to that aforementioned Austin Jackson, which maybe didn't mm. help. <laughs> All right. Under the radar lines for 2022, before we get out of here, what do you have as far as who we should be keeping an eye on that might be a little bit better than where they were last year or or what people might think of them? 
So yeah, so one team I kind of want to hit on was the that came out just based off of total points was uh, the Detroit Lions. They they were 14th, so they were in kind of that above average pot with all 32 teams in the league. And so, but I think the big thing is kind of, we kind of talked about with you know the Eagles and the Chiefs is the continuity between returning all five starters. And so they drafted Panay Sewell last year in the top 10. They've got Taylor Decker at left tackle. They've got Jonah Jackson at left guard. They've got Vitae at right guard. And then you've got the the center uh, slipping my mind. So Ragnow. Yeah, Ragnow at center. So yeah, they bring all five starters back at that spot. And with that being kind of a young team, a team that I, I think the offensive line kind of fits the, the the character and kind of the personality of, of who uh, their head coach is with, with, with Campbell and everything like that. So I think this is a team that could take another step as an offensive line just because if they get better, you know, who knows, we might see a decent year out of Jared Goff. You know, they've got a lot of young receivers and uh, running backs with DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown and those guys. And so I think this could be a team that maybe they win a couple more games and it really could just be based off of this offensive line. Yeah, this is a team that doesn't shy away from doing some more of that gap stuff. They're exactly what what their head coach kind of, he's in their image. They they are a tough team. Pretty interesting when you look at Penny Sewell being added to their offensive line. All of their offensive linemen were above average last year. He was actually the the lowest performer out of the five of them. You know, Decker, Jackson, Ragnow, Vitae, and then Sewell there. So pretty interesting when you look at that the trajectory is looking pretty good for him. And this could really be a team that that bludgeons some people and also now has some more weapons on the outside. When you look at St. Brown played so well as a rookie last year and Jamison Williams, if he can come mm-hmm. back midseason and provide some of the spark. I mean, you see pretty much every ingredient to a good offense, except, you know, figuring out that quarterback position. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's really kind of admirable with, with Panay Sewell, him taking the year off with the COVID year and he switched positions and he's still graded, uh, you know, Created out as a as a pretty good rookie, I think is is really cool. So I think the sky is kind of the limit for him. Yeah, sky's the limit. He and you know, if there's any part like the weakest part of your line has the biggest arrow up in the future. That's always a good sign. Yeah, for sure. Who else do we got? Let's keep it in the NFC North. The the, the Green Bay Packers uh, for sure are one of the more notable teams. The fact that they still finish in the top ten in total points. And David Bakhtiari, I think, only played one game last year. Elton Jenkins missed the majority of the year as well. Both of those guys, kind of their stalwarts on the left side of the line, they're going to get those guys back. They lose a couple of pieces. Billy Turner, who's kind of been a, kind of a stopgap right tackle, he's played some guard for them. They lose him in free agency. Basically, they, they have some of these versatile interior offensive linemen, Royce Newman, John Runyon, Sean Ryan. They drafted Zach Tom this year as well, and so – they they kind of have these guys that have played multiple spots, you know, in college and and in the NFL so far. And so seeing how they kind of piece together the rest of this offensive line with those two guys on the left and the fact that they were so good last year without them, I think is is really notable. Yeah, both of them were studs. At first, Bakhtari gets injured. Jenkins moves out and starts playing at tackle. I mean, there's really not much drop off. And then you lose him. And, and he sort of had a little bit of a comeback at the end of the year with Bakhtari. But when you look at those two guys being healthy, all of a sudden you're you're way above average there on the left side of the line right away. I and mean, the only real question when you look at Myers and Newman is filling in for Billy Turner at right tackle. I am not, I'm a noted non-Billy Turner enthusiast, you know, in terms of being able to fill that, being able to see who's going to slot in there. You know, is, you know, is it a Zach Tom? Like we'll see, we'll see exactly what they want to do there. This is an offensive line that they had to make it without their dudes last year and they they actually made it through pretty well. I think this is a team that that could be a lot, you know, better offensively and not having to rely on just just Rodgers being special in order to to do some things. Now, you lose Devontae Adams along with that and that makes things a little bit different. So we'll see if they can they can handle that aspect of the personnel changes, but at least from the offensive line perspective, things are looking up compared to where they were last year. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big fan of kind of how their defense looks too cuz I, I was a big Rashawn Gary fan coming out of college. I'm a Big Quay Walker fan. I, I wrote him up this year for uh, you know, our, our NFL draft website. I, I think he's going to be a great player. And they add in Devontae Wyatt, too. So the offensive line and the defense is really the identity of this team with, with obviously, Aaron Rodgers at the helm. So, but, yeah, obviously, bring, you know trying to replace you know Devontae Adams is going to be the biggest thing for them. Last but not least, or maybe least, let's switch it over and let's talk about one last team that's under the radar. Who do we got? So – uh, I, I wasn't going to bring him in, but they 
they're a little notable because they're obviously a, a big market team. But yeah, the New York Jets, they were actually their fifth ranked lowest uh, in terms of total points for the the O-line position. But they, they did make a couple of moves. And I just think they're notable because I think, you know, them playing a little bit of musical chairs with this. I think they've had some they got some good production last year out of first rounder uh, Elijah Vera Tucker. I think the biggest question with them, though, is Mekhi Becton. He obviously missed the the majority of last year. He was a top 15 pick, you know, uh, coming in at left tackle. He's played well when he has played. Uh, but I think there's some rift between him and, and the, the coaching staff and the front office, I think, loves him because Joe, Joe Douglas drafted him. But the new coaching staff isn't necessarily a fan. George Fant stepped in at left tackle and played really well for them last year. And so I, I, I talked with our resident Jets expert, Alec Mallon. And he said he thinks George Fan is going to play at left tackle and Mekhi Beckton is going to play at right. And so I'm very interested to see how that plays out. They, they also bring in one of the better guards in the league in Lake and Tomlinson, who came over from the 49ers, who's played really well for them over the last few years. And so in the system, he's played well in this same system. Yep, exactly. And so I think there was some confusion with him coming over. They thought Elijah Bear Tucker was still going to be a left guard and he would have to change positions. But I'd rather have the 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 formidable, you know, the, the guy who's already been playing at that position well. And so I think as a whole group, this offensive line can be really good. It's just kind of it, it kind of depends on what's going to happen with Mekhi Becton and, and, and who do they play and, and at what position. Definitely making things over, right? No more Morgan Monis, no more Duvernay Tardif. I think I think you're probably right. I would I would trust Alec and what he has to say there with Fant on the left and probably Becton on the right. Maybe Becton's skill set is even a little bit more enhanced on the right side there with just uh, the kind of power that he can play with and how that fits in with that sort of an offense. And then at least you are feeling good about the guards at this point, right? Between Tomlinson and ABT, feel pretty good about those that position. Uh, McGovern at center, I think, is fine. Figuring out those tackles, that's obviously going to be a big part of it for them. They've quietly been putting together a pretty interesting offensive supporting cast. Like, like we say with most teams, we'll see how the quarterback can fit into that because I don't know. I don't know if I'm buying the Zach Wilson stock, even if, even if they do sort out the offensive line around him. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued with this team. You know, they bring in Garrett Wilson, they bring in Brees Hall. They've got three tight ends that they brought in with uh, Ozama and, and uh, Rucker and Conklin. They've got the supporting cast. They've got some pieces on the offensive line. And so I think it's going to be up to how does the development of Zach Wilson play out? And so that's what's going to make or break, I think, this team. And, and maybe they're not making the playoffs this year, you know, especially with the Bills and the Dolphins seem to be a good – and that whole division is going to be tough. And so – but I think in terms of just the true tra- trajectory of this you know, this whole team, I think is this is a big year for Zach Wilson. I think if I was like a fantasy keeper league guy, Elijah Moore might be one of the players that I'd like have my eye on in terms of yep. – He's so good. I think that they just need to unlock him in a lot of ways. He was he was everything as a rookie that, mm-hmm. that I thought he could be and then some. And if it is the quarterback that's holding him back, then then he's got even that much more that he could do. So I get excited about him. If it doesn't work out for him this year, it'll definitely work out for him next year, I think, because he's just he's explosive. He's he's yep. hard to reel in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think this this receiving core with with Wilson, Davis, and, and Moore. This is all on Zach Wilson, I think. All right. I learned a lot from Mark Simon. One thing that I learned from him specifically was to always make sure I give a quick recap and some of the signposts of what we just talked about. So as a reminder, the top five, number five, the Eagles, number four, the Patriots, number three, the Chiefs, number two, the Rams, number one, the Buccaneers. But watch out because the Bucks and the Rams had a lot of musical chairs up front this year. On the bottom four lines, we had the Panthers, the Giants, the Texans, and the Falcons were last in total points on the offensive line last year. Watch out for the Bengals additions. Look out for the Dolphins making some changes. And in terms of the under-radar teams, we had the Lions, the Packers, and what's going on with the Jets. Jordan, it was awesome talking O-line with you. I could obviously do this all day with you and hope to do it again soon. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. The NFL draft has come and gone, but we're just getting a sense of how the players that were drafted are going to fit into their new teams and how all the undrafted free agents are also going to complicate those depth charts. So you can find out all that and more by going back to that same draft website, nfldraft.sportsinfosolutions.com. There you'll see all of the updated information from the NFL draft 
on the site. It was on there instantaneously as the draft was happening. So you can see who the teams landed. You can check out all of the, the scouting reports and analytics for each of the players that were added by your team. You'll want to check out the team page for whatever your favorite NFL team is. It's on nfldraft.sportsinfosolutions.com. Click there and don't miss the sonar depth chart. The sonar depth chart is really the backbone of this whole conversation that Jordan and I are having, where we're able to visualize the strength of each position on the roster, how well these players performed last year, what we can expect in terms of slotting in rookies, slotting in free agents, and look at the updated depth charts for where these teams are looking as we look forward now to the 2022 season with all new rosters. So check it out, nfldraft.sportsinfosolutions.com. You've got everything from the SIS sonar depth charts, leaderboards, big board, everything you can imagine right there. Check it out. For Jordan Edwards, Justin Stein, and the rest of the SIS football crew, I am Matt Manicharian, and thank you for listening to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. Podcast.